Well, I have a question for you. Is it possible for a human being to conquer God, for a mere mortal to triumph over the Almighty? And if such a thing were possible, how do you think God would feel about it, <clears throat> being conquered by the likes of us, one of his creatures? Well, welcome to Torah Today Ministries and our continuing series, Tehillim Talks, in which we take uh, each psalm one at a time and do a a brief study and look into it. Today we find ourselves in Psalm number 13. Very short psalm, only six verses, but it addresses these questions, I think. And as we look into the psalm and some of the things that come from the ancient writings of Israel and some of the rabbis, uh, I think you'll find the answer to these extraordinary questions as fascinating as I do. So let's begin. The approbation is a very common one in the Psalms to the choir master, a Psalm of David. Lamnatzeak means to the choir master. And we looked at this word Lamnatzeak back in Psalm 4, if you want to go back there and, and review that. And in verse 1, it says, Unto when, Adonai, will you forget me? Netzak, forever? I want to pause here for a moment. The word for choir master has the word netzak at its core, and here the word is found again in verse 1, netzak. We talked about this word to some degree in Psalm 9, and netzak is sometimes translated forever or a very long time, and it can also be translated triumph or conquer. And about a third of the Psalms, I think 55, if I remember correctly, begin with Lamnatzeak, to the choir master, or to the one who conquers. And there's something about the Psalms that equip us to triumph over God. Let me read something to you. The Talmud in Tractate Pesachim, which is about Pesach, about Passover, it's on page 119a, says this, When a human being is conquered, he feels sad. But when God is conquered, he rejoices. After the Jewish people sinned with the golden calf, God said he would destroy them. But he refrained from doing so because of Moses' prayers. Now, that's what the Talmud says. But then Rabbi Yosef B. Marcus goes on and says this, Thus Moses triumphed over God. Hence, Lamnatzeak Mizmor, note to the choir master a song, Sing to the one who rejoices over being triumphed. That is how the rabbi is reading into that lamnatzeak. Uh, is one who rejoices. God rejoices when we triumph over him. Now, what does that mean to triumph over him? Are we really in a wrestling match with him? Yes, we are. Just ask Jacob. Remember the story of Jacob that when he was getting ready to cross over the, the river Yabach. And he sent his wives and children and camels and servants and everything he had across there because he knew his twin brother Esau was coming. 
And the last word from Esau 20 some years earlier was that when Esau found him, he would kill him. He hated his brother Jacob. So to appease his brother Esau, Jacob sent across these gifts. And he was left alone at night there on the riverbank. And in the dark, in the night, someone jumps him and begins to wrestle with him. Now, in Jacob's mind, this can only be Esau. Who else is trying to attack and kill Jacob? And Jacob doesn't want to die. But by the same token, he doesn't want to kill Esau. So what do you do? How do you not kill someone who's trying their best to kill you? And so they wrestled all night. But when the sun came up, Jacob looked and his eyes were opened and he realized, well, this isn't my brother Esau. This is God. And so, you know the story, but uh, to make it a short story a little shorter, um, Jacob named that place Peniel, the face of God. And he called it that because he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. We're all in a wrestling match with God. And how does this wrestling match work? Well, with Jacob, Jacob thought he was wrestling with his enemy. And the enemy he thought he was wrestling with in the dark turned out it was God all along. What is the thing you're wrestling with? What is the thing you feel is going to destroy you? What is the thing you feel hopeless over, the thing you feel like nothing good can come out of this. Well, if the lights come on, you begin to realize, wait a minute, what I feared turned out to be my creator, the one who loves me, the one who wants to change me. When you begin to realize that, then God delights in letting you win the match because Jacob won that wrestling match. And though Jacob may have won the match, God won Jacob. And he changed his name from Yaakov, which means grasper, to Yisrael, straight to God, or Prince of God. We can translate it either way. And uh, what, what a name change that is. So God is like a father who's playing with the children, wrestling on the floor, and he lets the children win. God delights when we conquer him. And these psalms allow us to take the situations that we are wrestling with and to bring the lights up to realize what we're wrestling with is not coincidence or circumstances or even just physical or spiritual enemies. It's all orchestrated by God himself. It's God we're wrestling with. It's our own fears that we think we're wrestling with, but it turns out God is the one orchestrating all of this. And he wants us to win. So keep that in mind as we continue through these these next few verses. Four times in this psalm, David asked the question, Until when? Until when, Adonai, will you forget me? Nitzach, forever? Until when will you hide your face from me? Until when must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Until when shall my enemy be exalted over me? 
David's in a pretty low place, as we can see from, from uh, these verses. Now, the great Torah commentator and, and commentator on the entire Bible, Rashi, says that these four questions, until when, are prophetic, and they refer to the four exiles, the four kingdoms that enslaved Israel after they came in and possessed the land. And these four kingdoms, in chronological order, are Babylon, and they were taken to Babylon for 70 years. Then there's the Persian exile, and you can read about this. Uh, this is what the book of Esther is about, and the celebration of Purim is about the victory of uh, the Jewish people over the wicked Haman when they were in exile in Persia. Then there's the Greek exile, which is, needs a little explanation. Uh, Greece didn't actually exile the Jews from their land, but whereas the Persian exile was a physical exile, the spirit of the Jewish people was close to God. But with the Greek exile, they were physically in the land, but their soul was very far from God. And the story of Hanukkah and the rededication of the temple is what celebrates the victory over the Greeks. And then there's the present exile, the Roman exile, which began in 70 AD when the Romans came to Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, killed so many thousands of Jewish people and enslaved the rest. The story of Masada and and these other stories are all come out of this exile. And this exile has been going on for 2,000 years, but we live in a day when we see the Jewish people returning to their land. This exile is coming to an end. Now, what is interesting is that the, um, these phrases actually have some connection to these four exiles. Until when, Adonai, will you forget me? Forever? Netzach? Well, it turns out the Babylonian, Babylonian exile was only 70 years long. <laughs> it might have seemed like forever. Uh, but the, the prophets had prophesied it would be, Jeremiah did, exactly 70 years long. And Daniel was reading the book of Jeremiah. And I believe it's in chapter 9 when he, chapter 7 or 9, when he, he uh, realizes that the exile is almost at an end. It's chapter 9. And then the Persian exile, uh, this second question, until when will you hide your face from me? That word hide is the word sitar. And uh, the form here is hostir, if I remember correctly. And that's where we get the name Esther. And this second exile corresponds to the Persian exile. That's the, the time when the book of Esther was written and Esther became the queen. And then in the third one, he says, Until when must I take counsel in my soul? Which sounds kind of strange. How, why, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? In the Greek exile, the Jewish people were still in their land. But the wicked king Antiochus made it illegal to circumcise your sons, to teach the Torah, to keep the holy days, to, to, um, to do any of the things that are part of the Torah life. And this is where the, the story of the dreidel came that they use on Purim. You know, you see the dreidels, the tops, the little games you play with the, the spinning top. And the tradition is, is that the, the Jewish men would, would meet in their yeshivas or in some large room and they would study the Torah, which was illegal. 
and there'd be some lookouts at the windows and at the street corners. And when one of the lookouts saw one of the guards coming near, he would make a signal and the men would all hide their Torah scrolls away. And then they'd get out some coins and their dreidels. And when the guard would poke his head in the door, he would just see them gambling. That's what it looked like to them. They had to take counsel how to hide their life with God, their studies. And uh, they're always looking for a way to, um, to continue to practice their faith without getting caught. So anyways, and the last one, uh, until when shall my enemy be exalted over me? There was no conquering quite like this Roman conquering where the temple was not only destroyed, but it was completely disassembled and the rubble was thrown over off of the Temple Mount and the Temple Mount became barren and became a forest. It just occurs to me that today, the day I'm teaching this, is Tish B'Av, the ninth of the month of Av. And it was on this day that Solomon's temple was destroyed. It was on this day, a few hundred years later, that Herod's temple was destroyed. It was on this day that the Jews were exiled from Spain in 1492. It was on this day that World War I began, which led right into World War II. And there are a host of other horrible things that occurred on this day in Jewish history. It's a day of fasting, a day of weeping and grieving over the lost temple. So I guess it's appropriate that I would do Psalm 13 on this day. Well, let's continue. Look and answer me, Adonai my God. Brighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. I love this phrase, brighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. There's something very important here. There's a special principle here. And this is something that uh, Robin and I have discovered many a time. When things feel like they're closing in on you, it feels like everything's just off. Things are wrong. You just kind of feel dead. Without the situation changing one iota, if we can get understanding into the situation, if our eyes can be enlightened to where we understand the situation better, we don't feel so dead. We don't feel hopeless. It's just a matter of having more light in our eyes, the eyes of our mind. And the way this occurs is through the Torah because it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. We're told that it enlightens our eyes. And if we just can see into a situation, get some clarity, get some spiritual insight into the dynamics of what is going on around us, suddenly we don't feel quite so cut off. Hope doesn't seem so distant. It's just a matter of having a little more light and then seeing the situation with a broader perspective and with spiritual depth. And suddenly it doesn't seem quite so dire. Now the psalm closes in verses 5 and 6 with four statements which correspond with these four until when questions and the four exiles. 
The first one is, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your Yeshua, your salvation. Yeshua is the name or the Hebrew word for salvation. Third, I will sing to Adonai because, number four, he has dealt bountifully with me. Ah, here's how we conquer God. Whatever situation you're going through, God, who runs the world, is the one orchestrating that situation. Now, you may say, oh, it's because of my own stupidity, my own sinfulness, my own rebellion that I'm in the situation. Okay, granted. But still, this situation that was attached to your rebellion, your sin, your stupidity, or whatever, that situation was orchestrated by God. So he's still in the middle of all this. And he wants you to conquer. You're wrestling with him. You're wrestling with your fears, but when the lights come on, you begin to realize he is in the middle of it all. And he wants you to win. And it's like David after going through these four verses, comes these last two and simply says, all right, I don't understand what I'm going through. I don't get it. Don't quite know how it's going to turn out. But I've trusted in your steadfast love, your, uh, your chesed. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation, even though it's not here yet. I'll rejoice in it now ahead of time. I will sing to Adonai, because he has dealt bountifully with me, and I know he will again. Now, I want you to notice how everything moves up here. I trusted. This is something that's deep in your gut, deep in your spirit. My heart, that's above your, your, your gut. At your heart, I will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing. That's done with the mouth. That's higher yet. It's going from spirit to soul to body because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here's God. So it goes from trust down in the, the depths of your being to your heart, to your mouth, because God has dealt bountifully with me. Suddenly, he's, he's not looking down anymore, but he's choosing of an act of his own will to look up. And God rejoices because he says, you got me, you conquered me. You figured out what's going on. So you know what? I'm going to deliver you out of this. This is why... The psalm is Lam Natzeak, to the choir master, to the triumpher, to the one who conquers. Now, one last little insight. I have uh, accented, dealt bountifully with me, because it's just such an interesting word. It's the word Gamal, Gimel, Mem, Lamed. In fact, Gimel, the name of this first letter, is spelled like this, Gimel, Mem, Lamed. And the word gamal means camel. You can hear the similarity, gamal, camel. But it also means to wean. And uh, what an odd word. It's, uh, uh, let me just give you a little history of this word as we find it in the Torah. The first place you find this word gamal is in Genesis 12, 16. And this is speaking of, I think it's with Pharaoh dealing bountifully with Abraham because of his wife, Sarah. It says, and for her sake, he uh, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and gamalim, camels, gamals, okay? 
The next time you find the word is in Genesis 21.8. And the child grew and was weaned. This is referring to Isaac. Isaac grew and was Gamal. He was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was Gamal, was weaned. And then in Genesis 24, the story where Abraham sends Eliezer to find a bride for Isaac, in that chapter, the word gamal, camel, is found 18 times, because there's a lot to do with camels there, with Rebecca watering the camels and so on. So the word is primarily camel, but also weaned. But then later on, and finally, in one place, in the book of Numbers, we find it translated as bountiful. And this is, uh, this is the passage, Numbers 17, 8. This is where uh, God instructed Moses to take the staffs of Korah and his company and the different, all the tribes, I'm sorry, of the different tribes, and they're to put their names on their staffs. They put them in before the Lord, the Holy of Holies, and the next morning, this is what happened. On the next day, Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms. And it bore ripe almonds. Bore ripe is one word. It's the word gamal, that it just bounty came out of it. It wasn't just blossoms. It wasn't just baby almonds, but ripe almonds came out. And that's the word gamal. What do these three things, wean and camel, and <laughs> to, to, to uh, produce ripe almonds or, and to be bountiful, what do these things all have to do with each other? Well, the key is there in camel. The key is there, I believe, because this is the way the word is first used. And a camel is one who can sustain you in the desert for many, many days without having to eat <clears throat> or without it having to drink water. A camel is the perfect animal for a dry, weary, arid desert land. And the mother, when there's an infant who doesn't have teeth yet, can't chew and digest solid food, the mother supplies all the needs of that baby. She provides the protection. She provides the nourishment from her own breast. And everything that baby needs to get through infancy is supplied by the body of the mother. This is how God deals with us. So this word gamal, which is found more in the Psalms than in any other book, is a, a very interesting word, a very fascinating word. <clears throat> when we keep these things in mind, we can really rejoice and get insight into what David is saying when he says that God has dealt bountifully with me. This world's like a desert, but like a camel that keeps carrying on without any ex, uh, exterior need, outside needs. He just continues to bear me along. So, there's so much packed into these six short verses, but I hope that there's something inside this kind of meandering, wandering discussion we've had that is a blessing to you. And I hope you revisit this psalm and go back, and as soon as the teaching's over, go back and now read it for yourself. And... Um, 
uh, meditate on it, and allow God to speak to you through this psalm. And I wish you victory in the wrestling matches you're in. Shalom. The end.